When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. On the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 6.30 Chad. Well, good to have you along to the ride tonight inside sports on 630 Chet at 707. So the Eskimos getting that win on Saturday, 23-13 over the Calgary Stampeders. Their game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, second and final preseason contest will be coming up Saturday afternoon. It's uh, tied into the Porkapalooza Festival. 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kickoff right here on 6.30. Ched with Morley Scott and Dave Campbell. We will get to Dave here in about a minute. We're counting down to the NHL draft as well. We will have live coverage of all of it for you. Friday, June 24th, and then Saturday morning, June 25th, so less than two weeks away from the NHL draft and what could be a bit of a reshaping of the Edmonton Oilers roster. Baseball tonight, Phillies up 2-0 on the Blue Jays. They're in the top of the seventh. Jared Eikhoff, good outing for the Phillies so far. He has allowed three hits, four walks. He struck out five through six innings. R.A. Dickey goes six and a third for the Jays. He gave up two Solo home runs, 104 pitches. He had four strikeouts, a couple of walks, five hits. The Jays coming into tonight 35-30 and 30 on the season. Now just two and a half back in the AL East behind both Baltimore and Boston. This is your crystal glass scoreboard. For all your glass needs, you can call crystal glass today. Cleveland and Golden State about to get underway. Golden State will try to win their second straight NBA championship. And at Euro 2016, Italy 2-0 over Belgium. Ireland and Sweden 1-1. Spain beats the Czech Republic 1-0. Opening matches for all those clubs. All right. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. You can email insidesports at 630ched.com. In half an hour, we're going to have some really cool father Days, uh, Father's Day, sorry, Father's Day themed material leading into Father's Day on Sunday. And in half an hour, less than half an hour now, we will get that going with Pat Riley, Mike's father, the father of your quarterback, right here on Inside Sports. We have some cool stuff lined up for you all week. All right, cool guy standing by in studio to talk a little bit about some bad news for the Edmonton Eskimos. It is Dave Campbell. Dave, how are you doing? Doing well, Reed. Doing better than uh, John Ojo, unfortunately. Well, this feels a little bit like last year. Second year in a row, an Eskimo, a key Eskimo, goes down with a ruptured Achilles tendon. Last year it was uh, John White, uh, the start of, or actually the end of the first week of training camp out in Spruce Grove. And uh, today in practice, uh, yeah, tough break. Now, I didn't see the injury. All I saw was players or uh, players and trainers and coaches and general manager Ed Hervey huddled around. Uh, John Ojo, and then all of a sudden they put him on the cart, and I can't remember 
the last time I've seen a player carted off during practice. Uh, but it's a tough break. It's his right Achilles tendon that he ruptured. And this is a player that was dynamite last year. If it wasn't for Darrell Walker, he is probably, John Ojo is probably the Eskimos nominee for most outstanding rookie. Five interceptions, that was tops on the team. That was also second in the Western Division. 43 tackles, had uh, four pass knockdowns, one fumble recovery. He also uh, contributed eight special teams tackles, and that's another area that the Eskimos will miss him. He was good on that cover unit yeah. on the punt. So uh, time to move on. You know, football's tough game, and... You know, when injuries happen, you, you don't have a lot of time to stew about it or to, you know, to dwell on it. you got to move on. Well, and, and for some people saying, you know, I didn't notice John Ojo as much in the second half of the season. It's because the other teams figured out, oh, this guy picks off the ball. You don't mm-hmm. complete passes against this guy. I mean, I mean, his his INT for a touchdown was, was early in the season. Yep. So, so here's the thing. The Eskimos had two... CFL All-Stars out of their defensive backfield. Aaron Grimes is trying out in the National Football League. He mm-hmm. may or may not wind up being an Eskimo again. We'll see. Mm-hmm. John Ojo is out for the season. So the two All-Stars from the secondary, you know, very good chance. Neither one plays a game for the green and gold this season. As it's looking now, and after that preseason game in Calgary, which we'll get into a little bit more, who's, who's ready to possibly jump in and take those spots? Well, before we talk about that, let's consider this as well. Pat Watkins is out. Mm-hmm. Koshi Mwamba is out. Practice today, left. Marcel Young didn't finish practice today. So, yeah, who is left? Good question. Well, C.J. Morgan has been working out at the uh, weak side corner position for the last, uh, well, week uh, exclusively because of the Watkins injury. Uh, he had one tackle, one forced fumble in Calgary. He played pretty well. And the thing with Morgan is, you know, he is working out at that position, learning the position, but uh, but doing it on the field. Where Pat Watkins, whose four previous seasons have been all under Chris Jones as his defensive coordinator. Mike Benavides comes in, totally new system. Barry Miles is his defensive backs coach. Pretty good, pretty good coach to have because he was a very good safety slash defensive back in this league. But he doesn't know the system. He he's learning it off the field. He's going through the playbook, but he hasn't been on the field working out with it. So uh, CJ Morgan has, has and I've noticed him a lot. He's for for the right reasons. Uh, on the other corner, vacated now by John Ojo, you have Solomon Means who played pretty well in Calgary as well. Uh, but you also have Court Parks on that side who is a veteran, someone in 2013 played wide side corner for Mike Benavides in, with the BC Lions, six interceptions, had one uh, for a touchdown. And also had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. That might be an option. I got Neil King at safety, who was outstanding in Calgary. All over the field, all around the football, even even coming in on the short passes. He wasn't, you know, some safeties play so deep you don't even notice them. Right. He was all over the field. He was great. And also on special teams. So there's an option there. Marcel Young's injury, uh, if it is an injury, uh, don't know what his status is, but let's assume that hopefully he'll be healthy and and he'll be in the mix as well. So uh, they got a lot of young guys in their in their secondary. It's it's not riddled with a lot of experience right now. So and you look out in the free agent market, 
you know, there's three teams that have released uh, their uh, players to get to the required 65 players. I don't see anyone that really jumps off the page from a veteran perspective, unless the coach or the scouting staff and Ed Hervey and Jason Moss say, "Hey, that guy was pretty good," you know, uh, in a preseason game. Let's 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 take a look at him, for example. Right. It's tough. It's tough. So. The ideal scenario is they get healthy, but right now they're not afforded that. All right, so John Ojo out for the season. That is the Eskimos' headline of the day. You can get more on that on the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. Eskimos analyst Dave Campbell joining us here on Inside Sports. All right, so that's uh, the, the Ojo injury is unfortunately stealing the show a little bit today. Well, a lot. Coming off a, a weekend where the Eskimos get, get on the field, open up the preseason with a victory. So they, they pick up right where they left off, though these ones don't uh, <laughs> don't help in the standings. But uh, um, I, I got to ask you about the quarterbacks because I was curious as to how much Riley was going to play and I'm, and I'm curious as to how the depth guys were going to look. Well, Mike Riley played two series. He was 5 of 8 for 54 yards. So more than last year in the preseason already. He played in more two snaps in... In two games last year, of course, he didn't play the, the first game in Fort McMurray against the Riders, had five snaps against the BC Lions at UBC Place, at UBC uh, Thunderbird Stadium last year. So, yeah, he had a lot more work, uh, a lot more work on Saturday. James Franklin came in, had a tough start, but uh, finished strong. 10 of 14, 94 yards and a touchdown. Jordan Lynch, who's actually a quarterback this year, not just... Right. The guy that's under center is going to run the football 99.2% of the time because he was 3 of 4 for yeah, 17 Yeah, threw a few yards. passes. Yeah, last year. But he was 6 of 10 for 55 yards and a touchdown. Thomas DeMarco didn't see a lot of work. Uh, 3 of 7 for 13 yards. Longest was 5 yards, and he gave up a fumble and that was returned uh, for a touchdown by the uh, Stampeder Siante Evans. So, uh, you know, Jason Moss is... Handling his young quarterbacks, I think, pretty well. Says they got a lot to learn still. They're both in their second year. Um, we're going to keep working with them. They will see time on Saturday against the against the Riders at Commonwealth Stadium. Um, he knows what he has in Mike Riley, but you know, I, Jason Moss is being very uh, particular about his quarterbacks, and I guess why not? He played the position, so um, he's he's. Not discounting that both individuals, uh, talking about Franklin and Lynch, had good games, Mm -hmm. but he's also tempering it by saying they're young. You know, let's not get too excited. They have a lot to learn about the Canadian game. But I'm sure that both are, especially James Franklin, I think is on the right track. Jordan Lynch? We'll see. Okay. Well, we started with a, uh, the Achilles injury at Ojo. We mentioned John White. Let, let's let's finish with John White because he's he's back from the Achilles that kept them out last year. Um, several running backs to different degrees of success <laughs> filled in for the green and gold last year. Uh, is it does it look like despite having missed that season with an injury, John White's the guy? It's his job to lose. He looks just as fast as he did in 2014. Okay, you know, that's he, good. His longest run. He only had two carries. On a Saturday, his longest run was six yards. He had uh, two carries for seven yards. Uh, first off, the offensive line looked pretty good okay. on Saturday, so that's good. And most of the starters played and played for a while. Um, John White had one hole up the middle, which he accelerated through quickly. Had 
had lots of speed. It looks like his cutting ability is fine. He caught one pass as well. Let's see here. One pass through all, all these receivers' names. My goodness. Uh, okay, there we go. John White, one catch for 12 yards. It's a lot of names on a preseason <laughs> stat sheet, let me tell you, folks. But, uh, yeah, John White looks good out of the pass game. His blocking's good. And, he, I mean, he played for a bit in the first quarter. Jason Moss said, go sit down. Okay. That tells you everything you need to know about how the club feels about John White. All right. Well, I, I like him, so I, I hope he's back. Uh, the Ojo injury, uh, putting a bit of a damper on the Eskimos' uh, preseason win from Saturday. Ojo ruptured Achilles tendon at practice today, so we'll see how they move forward with this. Uh, two, two tomorrow or just one? Just one. They're, one they're done more. with the two-a-days. Done with the two-a-days already. All right. Dave, thanks for your time, buddy. Thanks, Reed. Uh, yeah, tough day today at practice, but in the football business, the show must go on. And it will. Dave, thanks for stopping by tonight. It's 718 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. So Ojo out for the Grey Cup champions. Meanwhile, the Super Bowl champion, Denver Broncos, getting their championship rings today. Big is an understatement. They're huge. The rings cover half a finger all the way up to a player's knuckle. The Broncos rings are 5.05 carats each and packed with 212 diamonds set in 10 carat white and yellow gold. They feature the Super Bowl 50 logo, an image of the Broncos' three Lombardi trophies placed above the team's logo on a football field of pave-said diamonds. On one side, the ring says this one's for Pat in honor of the team's ailing owner. Alex Stone, ABC News. Decent piece of jewelry. 719 Inside Sports on Chet. This is Oscar Cleft from, from your Edmonton Oiler, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Halfway through the first quarter, Golden State leading Cleveland 15-11, Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Reed Wilkins with you, the open line number 780-496-0063. We just heard the Oscar Clefbaum promo coming back from commercial. Chris from Phoenix has called in. Chris, did I hear you on Oilers Now today saying you would trade Clefbaum and Nurse? What's going on? Uh, I was actually going to segue onto that. Uh, yes, I would, because uh, depending on who we get back, let's just say if we get Hamannick and Barry, Hamannick and Barry both are better than Nurse right now. We know exactly what we get with both of those players. Uh, we don't know what we get with, uh, with Clefbaum and, and, uh, and Nurse. Uh, the goal for me to get is to get better right now, not to get better three years from now. Uh, and, if, and if somehow we can parlay that fourth overall pick uh, down a little bit lower and we could pick up Sergachev, which uh, a lot of people are high on him, yep. that could help replenish our, uh, our uh, dwindling uh, D uh, prospect pool. Uh, it, it's just I, I think we're, we're lacking on the back end and we need to, we need to upgrade now. And, and in all honesty, if we can get Hamannick, Hamannick is, is signed for another three years at a cap it under, under $4 million. Where we have uh, Clefbaum, who's uh, who's over four million, uh, and then and if we can get Barry at a reasonable deal, uh, that makes us that much better. We, we we're going to get we're, we're possibly going to get Barry, uh, who could uh, at least get us fifty points. There's no reason why Barry on this Oilers team cannot get us at least fifty points with with the talent that we have up front. I just don't see um, us trading uh, some. Uh, Everly or uh, Nugent Hopkins, just because we're weak on the right right wing, yeah. And we've also seen what happens when you uh, take away Nugent Hopkins down the middle. We're we're not uh, that uh, well equipped down center uh, to to just trade away a top two center right now. 
So if we can somehow keep uh, keep those players and add Barry and Hammock, I'm all for it. Well, you're right about the right side. Um, okay, here's the thing, and and I, I you know I I'd like to hang on to the, the those three young centers, and then Latestu's your fourth guy. But what I mean, what if they trade Nugent Hopkins and the combination movie is signing David Backus or someone? I mean, Backus probably isn't going to come here, but finding that type of guy to fill in us in the three hole down the middle. Well, see, that's the thing. It, 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 Nugent Hopkins isn't a, isn't a third line center, and we're, we weren't um, going to have him as a third line center. We weren't even going to have Drysdale as a third line center. We wanted to have. Dryside will try out on the wing with Nugent Hopkins as a center, which we still can do. Yes, and I'd be um, fine with and, that. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't sign somebody, but I don't want to go into the off. I don't want to go into next season with more question marks. We always do that. We always are. Well, you know, what if the young guys step up? Right, you're hoping that. for things that haven't happened. Exactly. And by the way, Tyson Berry's never had 50 points, buddy. Well, wait a minute. Oh, it, it was no, sorry, he had 53. He had 53. 53. Yeah. Well, and we you're right. I'm, I'm being picky with you. Also, he also had 49. So I'll give you the benefit okay. of the doubt. I, I, I don't want to <laughs> trade Nurse. I don't want to trade Clefbaum. If we can add these players without losing, you know, those two guys or without losing our forwards, I'd be all for it. But unfortunately, you have to give to get. All right. I'll and give you. I, I got to go to the news, Chris. I'll give you 30 more seconds, buddy. What was your other point? Oh, my other point was. Uh, uh, it shows how humble uh, hockey players are when uh, the greatest of all time, Wayne Gretzky, uh, you know, gives his condolences to, to, to Gordy and calls Gordy the best uh, best that there ever was. So it just goes to show how humble hockey players are, regardless of where they're from. And uh, let's go Oilers, and uh, let's make some trades here. And that's all I have, and uh, great show, bud. Talk to you soon, Chris. That is Chris from Phoenix. Always love when he checks in. we got a break for the news. We will kick off Father's Day week. With the father of your quarterback, Mike Riley's dad, Pat, when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. J.C. Sherrick, one of the star players for the green and gold, certainly the defensive leader of the team. No doubt who the leader is on offense. Mike Riley came back from that injury last season, and all the Eskimos did was win their final 10 games, including the two playoff games and the Grey Cup over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Father's Day is coming up on Sunday, and all week on Inside Sports, we will bringing you we will be bringing you uh, segments about uh, fathers. Fathers and their uh, athlete children or various combinations of that. And we're going to jump right into it this week with the dad of your quarterback. It is Mike's father, Pat. Pat, you're on with Reed Wilkins. Thanks so much for your time. How are you doing? I am just fine, Reed. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm like every parent on earth always welcomes the opportunity to brag and talk about their <laughs> kid. So, and it's been, it's been a ride. Let me tell you, it has been a ride. Yeah, well, well, right on, and, and uh, we want to get to know Mike a little bit through your eyes and, and get to know you and your relationship with him uh, uh, as well. Now, was it Washington State uh, that you, you guys primarily, primarily lived in when Mike was a kid? Yes, we, we lived in Kennewick, Washington, southeast Washington, um, part of the Tri-Cities um, down in that area, kind of a hot part of the state. Okay. Um, Mike was 
born there. We lived there until he was a junior in high school, and then we moved to Kalispell, Montana. Okay. So, I, I mean, from a very young age, was Mike a kid who would pick up a football or a baseball bat or, or even a hockey stick in, in that area? You got the, the WHL. I mean, did he show a, a, an interest and an attraction to sports right from being a little guy? From the very beginning. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny because even in Kennewick, um, he played hockey, not ice hockey, but he played a lot of street hockey. We lived on a dead-end street, and the kids in our neighborhood get home from school, get their homework done, and they'd all head out onto the street. It was football, baseball, basketball, street hockey, you name it, even golf. Um, Mike, wow, at a young age, I don't remember how old he was, but he was about eight or ten, something like that. He was over at a neighbor's house swinging a golf club, and the kid picked a club up, started swinging around, smacked him in the nose, ended up quite a few stitches and things like that. If you take a look at Mike, uh, his nose happens to lean one way, and that had nothing to do with football. It had to do with a golf club. So it was kind of funny. But well, with regard to sports, it was, that's all it was around our house, football, basketball, baseball, golf, you name it. So he was into everything. Was he when was he in front of the TV a lot when you wanted him to do his homework? He's trying to watch the end of a game or or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, studies were a big thing in our house, but when it came to sports on, and we kind of put studies off a little bit for a while. We made sure it got done. The studies were just as important, but boy, watching that game, football, anything, anything was important around our house too. We just we did that as a family. Yeah, well, and you're a coach too, right? Yes, sir. I just retired this year. Just I uh, on the fifth of June, I turned sixty, and I've spent fifty-two years playing or coaching football and basketball and baseball and things like that, but mostly football. And it just it got to the point where I, I the only way I know how to coach is old school football. And the kids accepted it, but I was really out of date. And in some ways, the game kind of passed me by. And I felt it's time to turn it over you know, to the younger coaches. So I'll still go down over the summer and put some kicking camps and things like that on for some of the school kids around here that need help. But it was time for me to move on. There's a lot of young coaches out there that were glad to take my spot. Interesting stuff. Okay. When did Mike sort of gravitate more towards football or when did that become the sport that he excelled the the most at was there a point where you or him or or another coach was like okay this is the sport mike has to pursue the most you know football was always his favorite he started playing football when he was about five years old and football was always his favorite he played everything but football, again, he just um, loved it, talked about it. Dan Marino, growing up, was his hero. Um, but when he hit about 10 years old, um, area, the middle school or junior high football programs is very, very weak. So the area high school coaches got together and pushed for a private program. Um, so I went down, actually, from the high school level to help run that, that middle school private program. And at 10 years old, he began to excel. He moved up very quickly, um, even at 10, and starting quarterback on the 13-year-old team. 
and played uh, quarterback, played linebacker. A lot of people don't realize this, but he's actually a pretty good little linebacker. Not afraid to take a hit, as I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, but he loved it. Um, um, it kind of helped that I was his coach at that time. So um, when he was out on the field there, we did a lot of fun things with him every now and then, uh, orchestrate his own drives. We did have an agreement that there would always be two plays a game that I would send in that were ridiculously stupid calls <laughs> and that he better catch the which he thought there were more than two. There were actually only two, but he looked at every game that there were a lot more ridiculously stupid calls, Coach. But nevertheless, he had to pick those two plays up and audible out. And another thing that we did in there, he was forbidden to leave the pocket. Um, he had to stay in, wait it out, learn to take a hit, throw the ball down to an understanding that extra half a second makes a huge difference with regards to that receiver getting open. Um, little did I realize, because I looked at and said, hey, you know, if you really want to make it to the pros, you got to learn to stay in the pocket. Little did I realize that his moving his feet around was going to be one of his advantages. But I will take no responsibility for that. He did that one on his own. He had to overcome what it was that I wanted just to get that. Well, but the thing that, that that I think he did better this past season, though, Pat, is he moved his feet. And, and, I mean, they talked about this on our broadcast and on the TV broadcast. He moved his feet, but he kept his eyes downfield. He left the, poc, yeah. the pocket, but still thought of being a passer first, I thought. Yeah. yeah and I agree with you there. You know, it's, it's interesting to come to the games, to sit in the stands as a dad and as a coach, because it's hard for me um, to discern the difference up there. Um, when games get over, we always head back to his um, apartment and watch, because he tapes it, and we watch the game and he critiques himself. And there are times I sit in the stands and go, wow, why did you do that? <laughs> and then when I watch the game, he explains it and I go, okay, got it, I see you know, so when I sit in the stands, I'm not really a coach anymore. I'm just a dad, and I see the same stuff everybody else does. I'm just lucky enough that he can explain some stuff to me later, and I, I kind of get it. And it makes sense to you, right, for sure. Uh, Pat Riley yeah, joining yeah. us on Inside Sports tonight. He's the dad of your Eskimos quarterback, Mike Riley. So, I, I mean, you, you've laid out for us that he excelled and, and really loved football from a young age, and he excelled at it. But, I mean, it's one thing to be a good middle school or high school player, and there are a lot of those who are great athletes, but it's a totally another thing to have a shot to play uh, in the NFL and the CFL. And obviously he had shots at both before settling here in Edmonton. Um, I mean, when did you think, oh my God, he's not just a good athlete in our town or in our conference or in our state. He could actually make a living doing this. When did that sort of click in your head? You know, um, I'm going to go back a little bit, though, because when he was in high school, um, for two years in a row, we took him down. He wanted to go to the all-Northwest uh, football camp at Western Oregon University. It was a, Basically, it was a quarterback camp run by Drew Bledsoe and his dad. And the first year that we picked him up, he said, hey, Dad, Drew wants to talk to you. And I said, like, Drew Bledsoe? Yeah, and I said, I didn't know he was here. So 
talked to Drew for a couple of minutes, and Drew said, hey, I just want to let you know this kid's got a D1 arm. And he said, yeah, I know he's only a freshman, but we got to watch him. Second year, he went back, and Drew was talking about, he said, if you play your cards right, get him into the right school, he said, this kid can go on to the pros. So, nevertheless, we jump ahead about four years when he was playing for Washington State University. His freshman year, um, it was a redshirt year, but in the spring during workouts, he had a phenomenal um, workout session in their camp. Um, during the spring um, scrimmage, he just knocked it out of the park. And there were articles in the newspapers saying, hey, this is our quarterback next year. And I got a call from head coach, and he said, um, we want him to wait two years before he gets his chance to start. And that Mike didn't take too kindly to that. He said, I want to play now. So at that point, we realized if he plays this right, he might have a shot at it, which is the reason why he transferred from Washington State to Central Washington. He got four years of playtime there. And it was at that time when he was playing for Central Washington, um, one of those years in there, Bo Baldwin, who was at Eastern Washington, who coached J.C. Sherritt and uh, Matt Nichols and a few other guys up there. Um, Bo Levi Metro played for him. And I've been pretty close with Bo through the years, and Bo was the one that told me this kid can make it. So at that time, probably his junior year in college, I realized, He's got a pretty good shot at it. What do you remember about him coming to Canada, first to Vancouver to be um, with the BC Lions? I mean, I, look, I know American kids dream of, of, of playing in the NFL. That's, that's the big league. That's what they, they grow up Washington uh, grow, grow up watching. What, what was it like for, to see him come to Canada and, and uh, you know, maybe try a slightly different direction with his career? I was so excited. When he was at Central Washington University, his pro day, um, BC Lions sent a scout down. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember who else, but one other team in the CFL had a scout down there. And um, I was up there for pro day, talked to him a little bit, and I thought, these guys are pretty cool. I had also, like all American people, um, been watching every now and then the CFL game. And it, I mean, it's exciting when you're, for me, it's still exciting, but I'm used to it now because I don't, that's about all I really watch. I don't watch too much NFL. I'm sorry to say this, but to me, it's just really boring. But when Mike, so he was the first player by the Pittsburgh Steelers after draft, and he was the last player released. He went from there a couple of weeks off. Uh, Green Bay Packers signed him. And while I was talking to Mike, I said, hey, have you ever thought about the CFL? He said, yeah, I have. And he said, I'll play this out. He said, I'm with Green Bay now. St. Louis Rams picked him up off the practice squad, and he was on the active roster for the balance of the year. When St. Louis brought um, Sam Bradford in, they released all the quarterbacks. And in basically what happened to Green Bay or uh, New York Jets, called and wanted Mike to sign with them. And we had talked about it, and Mike said, I'm not interested there. I really, really want to go to Canada. I said, then go. So for me personally, it's been the most exciting six years as a father to be able to go up, because I, as a coach, get to see really exciting football. And 
I get to see guys who love the game. And I'm not saying guys in the NFL don't love the game, but I can say I, I honestly believe this in the CFL. There's a deeper love, you know, for the activity of football there than what you find in the lower states. I I love it. It's been fun for me. Right on. Pat Riley joining us on Inside Sports. Mike Riley's dad as we do a series of uh, fathers-themed interviews leading into Father's Day on Sunday here on Inside Sports. Uh, Pat, a couple more for you, and thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously you you love Mike and you still have that coach in him, but um, you sit in the stands. I assume occasionally you listen to shows like this one or watch highlights. Mike's going to be criticized. Sometimes the quarterback gets too much of the blame when they lose and maybe too much credit when a team wins, but it, it's that type of and, – and, hey, you know what? Me too. And, and if people listen to this show, they know I, I sing Mike's praises and I think he's tough and I love his leadership. But I was the first to say last year the game they won against BC in overtime. I thought – I said Riley pulled it out in the end, but he also did a lot of things to put them in a situation where they almost lost it over the first 55 minutes. So, you know, I, I, I always look at it, i got to call it both ways with a guy. Um, but how do you deal with, the, with that as a dad when you might hear him get the odd boo or somebody un, unhappy with how he played or whatever? How, how do you do that? First of all, Mike is a pro. And in the stands, people pay good money to go to games. And in my opinion they have a right to say whatever it is that they want i don't get too much when we go to edmonton um there are we you know we sit with a lot of the parents in that area and there isn't a whole lot of bad stuff that i hear um i did have a this is kind of an interesting sort of the lead into this but mike's first year here in edmonton um, we were playing Saskatchewan. Game gets over. I'm up walking through the concourse leaving. And I have a number 13 jersey on, and a Saskatchewan fan comes up to me and says, so, what do you, do you, how do you like Riley now? And I turned to him, and I said, well, I still love him. And the guy looked at me, and his face kind of goes blank, and he goes, oh, my God, you're his dad. I said, yes, I am. He goes, I am so sorry. And I said, hey, you know what? You have a right to say that. And I said, no, it was not a very good game. Um, with regard, you get pretty thick skin. You understand, I understand anyway, what people see on the field is different than what really goes on. Because in my mind, there's times I go, why did you do that, Mike? What happened? Again, later on, I find out why he did Not always right, because there are times Mike will tell me, I just blew it. I missed the call, just flat it. So you just kind of learn to get really thick skin. You just deal with it. And most people are pretty gracious about it. You know, there's sometimes I totally agree with what the fan has said. I kind of agree. Yeah, I do agree with you on that one. But you are exactly right that the quarterback um, gets a lot of credit for the win. But at the same time, they get a lot of blame for the loss. You know, it kind of works both ways. So you, you can't just take all the good and reject the bad. You're kind of going to say, well, I guess you take it all as it comes. Well, and one thing Mike is good at, and that I've noticed when I've had the opportunity to interview him and, and, and see him play, is is that I think he's good with dealing with the bad. I remember I, when he was on this show one time last year, I asked him about dealing with adversity, 
And he just kind of was like, well, of, of course, if there's a bad play, I just put it behind me and do the next play. I mean, I, the, the, the joke I've made on, on these airwaves, Pat, is that asking Mike Riley how he deals with mistakes is would be like asking him what it was like to be a Jamaican woman in the 1800s. It just doesn't compute. He just, you know, he, he just doesn't he just dwe- doesn't dwell on those mistakes. Where does that mental toughness and the ability to just kind of naturally move on from things come from? You know, I think some of it has to do with golf because Mike played football, basketball, baseball, and golf in high school. And he learned at a young age in golf, when you blow a hole, you have to totally forget it. You can worry about it later. You can look back on your mistakes. But if you dwell on it, you've lost. That's how he looks at football. Um, I do know when he was younger, uh, there were times he'd have to call time out, go out, settle things down. And then I, as a coach, would chew his butt out on it and say, wait a minute, I shouldn't have to call time out. That's your responsibility as a quarterback to keep things under control. Stay cool, calm, collected. Um, continue on. You know, he's harder on himself than anybody is. He, um, he will push himself beyond what coaches ask. So, and I just think that he's too, sometimes he can be awfully, awfully hard on stuff. But you go back, it was golf at a young age where he learned, got to forget about that one and move on. It doesn't do any good to dwell on what happened in the past, to come back later and fix it. Well, he certainly did that in the uh, in the Grey Cup, down thirteen nothing. He 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 <laughs> pulled it out. Uh, Pat, I, I, thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, the, I, there's more stuff I get. We'll have to do part two of this later on in this season. Does that sound fair? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. You betcha. All right, Th- thanks so much, and I, I hope to see you at a game this year. And uh, I'm sure you get a lot of positive comments now when you wear that Riley jersey at Commonwealth. <laughs> it's fun. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure, Reed. That is Pat Riley checking in on Inside Sports tonight. Mike Riley's father. Man, that was great to talk to Pat. Uh, interesting insight into his son, what makes him tick, and uh, his rise to being one of the best quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League. You can text 630-630-780-496-0063 is the phone number. What did you think of Pat Riley? Does that make you look at Mike any differently? After hearing that, Inside Sports on Chet. We're coming right back. Well, that was great. Mike Riley's dad, Pat, on the show. Jordy says, sounds like Mike was destined to play in the CFL. Glad we have him here in Edmonton. Cleveland up 38-34 on Golden State early in the second quarter. Rough night for the Blue Jays. They're down 6-0 to the Phillies in the top of the ninth. You can keep the text coming to 630-630. A little bit of time for uh, open line and chat if you want to jump in on some uh, Riley and Eskimo stuff. Got some Oilers text I want to get to as well. We're back after the 8 o'clock news. Great to have you along for the ride tonight. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.